Welcome to the P2 podcast. On this installment, Bryce and I will connect on a really cool topic. Thank you for tuning in wherever you're tuning in from, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, hopefully YouTube. Wave to the people on YouTube, Bryce. Uh, but uh, we hope you enjoy. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please leave them in the comment section. We read them and we will probably ignore them, but uh, definitely drop them for us. Yeah, welcome. welcome. Um, Cool. No, yeah. I'll intro the the really fun, exciting topic that we're going to talk about, um, which is probably not super fun or exciting for most people, but it is a good reason and excuse for us to um, talk about RPE and RIR and some failure stuff with training because most people just have absolutely no fucking idea what they're talking about and they just speak out of their ass. So um, we can first intro this, right? So I'll start. Um, RPE stands for rating of perceived exertion rate of perceived exertion um i always fucking stumble over that but it is a one to ten scale um one essentially being non-existent effort and 10 being the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life and then rpe is reps in reserve i'm like about to die right now I have a brain aneurysm as i'm trying you just to said rpe again too yeah i say rpe yeah oh, wow what's happening here yeah, I should probably just go home. Um, RIR is wraps in reserve. Either way, wow. Hopefully we can cut that out. And it is a more objective measure of how close you are to failure. So obviously, as the name sounds and as it as it denotes, you're going to be counting down. So whereas RPE, the harder that the the set is, the effort is, the closer it gets to 10. RIR is going to be the opposite. You're going to be counting down to zero as you get closer to this failure point. Um, like what you were just talking about before we started recording, a lot of times they're used synonymously. And and I think that can be a really easy way for people to think about controlling or mediating how close they are to failure in their effort. But it is really important also to understand that they are measuring different things. And I alluded to it a second ago whenever I said RAR was objective. Now that's because RPE is subjective. So RPE is going to based on, be based on how you're feeling while performing the set. It literally is an effort gauge. And that is important because it's not meant to be correlated as closely to how many reps away from failure you are or how close to failure you are. It's just about how you feel, right? And that is subject to a lot of variables outside of just your own muscular potential and your own strength. If you got poor sleep the night before, if you're distracted, if you are dehydrated, if you're close to needing a deload and your body is just feeling heavy as shit, right? That's not as correlated to what you're capable of doing. Um, whereas RIR, it is more objective, you know, if you do 100 pounds for 10 reps week one, you're most likely still going to be able to do 100 pounds for around 10 reps week two, despite what the circumstances are, you know, outside of you getting hurt. So I think that's important because there are really important ways that you can use both of these different measurement gauges for failure. Um, and they're not always going to be mapped one-to-one -one on top of themselves, even though, again, like what I, I mentioned a second ago, it can be easy to think of them like that whenever you're at a lower level. As you get more and more and more advanced, as you have less margin for error in your training, you have to be able to separate those two and, not, and understand really how to utilize them in training too. 
Yeah. I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the factors that go into how a person might um, ascribe, you know, whatever RPE denotation they want to, to a session, to a movement, um, to a set. That being said, um, one thing that, you know, I've been kind of thinking about as I've been talking to clients, especially some of my newer clients who are kind of new to the intentional lifting game, right? So when I give them, hey, leg press, RPE eight, right? Well, the one thing you have to realize as a coach is, like you said, RPE is something that is subjective. The one thing you didn't mention that I think is really, really important is it's also based on experience in relativity, right? So you might be a really, really strong individual, but you don't know it yet, right? You're a, you're a newbie. You're just figuring shit out. Last week, you put a plate on. This week, you put two plates on. This week, you put three plates on. Each week is going to feel like, wow, that's the hardest thing I've ever done because you've never done it before, right? But it doesn't mean you can't get more reps. So you have, oh, 8 RP, 9 RP, 10 RP, but somehow I keep going up. Well, it's like, yeah, because it was the hardest thing you had done until that moment. And then the next time you did it, you did more. And so now that's the new hardest thing. That's your new 10 RPE. And so if you look at RPE, in my opinion, is more of a scale, relative scale based on the movement, based on what you're doing, it makes more sense. But like you said, RIR, more objective. If you're like, hey, I want you to take this set one rep shy of failure. Like, and so you can only do one more rep and just barely you'll figure out what 10 RPE is really, really quickly, right? Um, but it's going to be a lot different than if you are just basing it on your relative position, like where you are in that movement pattern as far as progression or what you're used to or what you've been doing. You know, people don't talk about like the history of why. Like, of course, it makes sense. Just bring it in and, and homogenize it and say, hey, you know what? We're not going to confuse people, uh, especially people who don't, they're not nerds. Like, they don't give a fuck about the granularity of the training. It serves its purpose. Make shit harder week after week. We get it. But like you said, the more specific you need to be, the more advanced you get, the more you're going to want to really tune in to what objectively you can observe, right? Because that's going to lead you to the most optimal result pattern, right? That being said, RPE is something that was used to kind of blanketly describe exercise, right? Specifically, like, cardio exercise. Yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah. I was, I was running and I'm like, I can barely breathe. This is a 10 RPE, right? I can barely keep going. Oh, I, I can jog and talk. This is a six. This is a seven. Right. And they kind of give you those, you know, um, kind of, uh, contextual measures. Like if you can still have a conversation with this, if you can, you know, if you're gasping into this. And then we took that because it was exercise and tried to put it into weightlifting and go, wait a second, we have to find a place for it to fit. Let's just make it the same thing. Well, it's not the same thing. And so understanding that difference is really important. Yeah. And if you've ever been inside of an exercise science lab or uh, or gotten your VO2 max tested or anything like that, you'll see a chart that is near the treadmill or near whatever modality it is that you're going to be using because that's what the researchers use. They use a chart that has nice little pretty pictures on it of faces. And those faces are contorted in a way to visualize what one through 10 RPE is supposed to feel like. And that's really easy because it allows people to point to those different faces as they're performing whatever, you know, VO2 max cardio that they are going to be testing during that session. Um, but that does not map as closely onto something like RIR. And whenever you try to carry RPE from the lab over into the gym, specifically, with 
more intense training, like what we're talking about, right? Like really heavy, really intense, really close to failure, even like talking more advanced as well. You need something that is a little bit more beyond the, the trying to blend where you fit on a subjective chart. You need something that is tangible. You need to be able to say, I am this close to failure. Not, I feel like this today because it doesn't matter how you feel that will not actually correlate to what your muscles are experiencing mechanically, right? Just because it feels hard for you doesn't mean that your quads were, you know, one rep from failure. It might just be that you're a pussy and you don't know how to train hard yet, right? And this is really important because I do think that RPE is a great tool to be able to teach people to think more deeply about how they're experiencing effort, right? But it's also a great tool as a coach because if you give someone an RPE and you watch them perform that, you're like, hey, take this set to, to let's just say 10 RPE. And you watch them perform that. And in your mind as a coach, you can map that onto RIR. And if someone stops a set at their 10 RPE and they're like, you know, I, I was done. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. And you're watching them. You're like, bro, you had at least five reps left. Like I'm like the bar didn't even slow down. What do you mean? You're that's your 10 RPE. We've got some work to do. We need to right. close that gap because ideally, and this is where it's really important, right? Advanced trainees and advanced individuals, they have no gap between 10 RPE and zero RIR. Those are the same for advanced individuals, right? And that's where you want to get all of your athletes as a coach. And as a, as an athlete, you want to be at that point where there is no difference there, right? Because obviously a 10 RPE, you, you're not going to go beyond failure. That, that would be your failure point. So you want those to map as closely onto the RPE scale and the RIR scale as they can. So a lot of people struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And, and that is something that we found. And that's why I do think that RPE valuable teaching tool, but at a certain point, it can become a little convoluted when you're trying to use RPE whenever you mean RIR. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. I get, and like you said, they're great tools. And for most people, they'll work very, very well, right. As long as you keep scaling them up. Um, and I think another thing I mentioned leg press earlier, which kind of alludes to this point some patterns will just be hard for people. Like I know people who like unilateral squat patterns just murder because they're just being a pussy about it. That it sucks, but it doesn't mean that they're shaking and about to fall over. And it isn't until I say, Hey, just like, I can't get anymore. I'm like, okay, well take each set until you literally fall over. Like take it until you cannot get off the ground, continue to lunge until that stops. And it's like, Oh wait, we got 16 reps per side. That was the worst thing ever. Yeah, it was, but you can do it. And now you understand what failure feels like, but you know, like, hey, this movement's just hard. Leg press, like fucking lunges. For me, leg extensions. Leg extensions will always fucking suck. Like that is a movement pattern where it's just like, dude, I can always keep going, but you don't want to because it's miserable, right? But understanding RAR in that or in that capacity is really, really important. And like you said, it's important for athletes to understand those scales in their mind and to eventually get to the points where they are harmonized. Will you ever get there? Most likely not, right? Most likely it's, it's going to vary. And it's also going to be movement dependent. It's going to be, you know, phase dependent. What are you doing? Like, what's the goal of the block? Again, striving for that, that harmony there though, will lead to just better, more long-term results. It also will allow you 
kind of similar to like what tracking macros does for people who want to eventually get back into like real flexible dieting. Like once you understand certain things about calorie or caloric intakes, what you feel like, energies and stuff like that, um, you'll be able to more flexibly eat. And you don't have to weigh all your food because you just understand certain things. You can eyeball serving sizes, et cetera. It's the same thing here. Being able to frame your failure patterns and frame your failure framework um, will allow you to go, you know what? Yeah, I haven't followed a program in a while, but I do make sure I train like really hard, deliberately hard every single day because I am saying, hey, you know what? Today is going to be a day where I'm just kind of like building and just kind of like setting up a good baseline to do again next week, but I'm not writing anything down, but I, I am taking things, you know, three reps shy of failure, hanging out at like seven RPE, et cetera, uh, challenging day, but not, you know, bone breaking. And then being able to build on that because you're like, hey, no, I know what I was able to do last me or last week. I can build on this, push this further, even if today I'm fucking tired. I like, oh, I didn't get much sleep yesterday, da da da, whatever. You don't need someone behind you going, no, use 100 pounds this week, use 110 this week. You can feel that shit out. Um, and the better and more familiar you get with it, uh, just again, the more likely you are to see the results you're looking for. Yeah, you touched on something I want to expand on a little bit, which was that not every exercise is going to have the same RPE, right? So that's why RPE and RIR are very distinct because you can look at something like a barbell squat or let's just say a front squat because a front squat is an even better example of this. Front squat versus a dumbbell lateral. Those RPE tens are going to feel very fucking different on your system. And the reason that this is important is because you need to be able to differentiate how hard you're training on one versus the other. Very few people will be able to go to an, a true RPE 10 on a front squat because it just sucks from rep one. Like it sucks ass. No one wants to do front squats. Like the movement itself is already starting at like a seven RPE. Like, Doing it with the bar sucks ass. Like no one wants to push front squats that hard. So there are very few people that actually know how to push to a 10 RPE on that movement specifically. Fucking anyone can go into a gym and take a set of dumbbell lateral raises to failure. Like that's not hard. It doesn't require that much from you. It's going to feel so different on your system, on your brain, mm -hmm. on everything in your body. It's all going to be screaming different signals. So that's very important. Lower body in general, yeah. it, it is going to have a higher baseline RPE. You're going to be starting from a higher, a higher point of subjective effort whenever you're doing anything with lower body. Unilateral patterns as well, right? Those just inherently suck ass. And also, anything that is a compound movement, it's going to feel harder because there's a lot more going on. You're using more load. Like, of course, that feels more challenging. If you're doing a single arm tricep pushdown, you're you're never going to be close to an RPE 10 in the way that you would define it for a deadlift, right? But you can still take both of those sets to zero RIR because that's objective. And the feeling at a muscular level and defining it by objective failure means that you can get to the same point for both of those movements, whether it's uh, the, a single joint movement that is on done on cables that's super easy to take to failure, or if it's a compound movement that you're you know taking to failure with your three rep max and your entire body is shaking, both of those mechanical failure failure points are the same, but the subjective effort is going to be vastly different between them. 
And I think that's where a lot of people get really, really confused if they are thinking of RPE and RIR as the same, because they're not going to feel the same with different movement patterns, with different ways of performing movements, with different modalities as well. A machine is going to feel easier than a barbell. Cables are going to feel easier than dumbbells. It, 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 that is what it is, you know? Um, but then kind of going back to the point of how do we, how do we like map this onto novice, beginners, intermediates, advanced. And I think that a really easy way of doing this is starting with something like RPE so that people understand and start paying attention to how hard they're training. I know that I'm probably going to be speaking for you here whenever I say that everybody that we have that comes in as a new client thinks that they train to failure. Like people just say the word failure because they think that that whenever you walk into the gym, that is failure. Like I've already gone to failure as soon as I've put my in the locker. Like we're we're here doing it, right? Um, but whenever people experience true failure for the first time, even on something like like leg extensions, mm -hmm. they're like, holy fuck, I did not realize that's what it feels like. Because the feeling of not being able to concentrically move something is weird. It is very weird. Like it's not something that most people are used to in everyday life because you don't really subject yourself to those types of forces. So to get to that point is it takes time. It takes yeah. a lot of time to train yourself to be able to strain through really hard reps to the, get to the point of failure. And it takes years, but what you can do, even as a novice, as a beginner, as an intermediate, especially is start paying attention to how hard these things feel for you. And I think that's what RPE is really good for at a lower level, right? Whenever you start getting more comfortable with paying attention to that effort, then you can start thinking about, all right, how far away from failure am I? Or how far away do I think that I am? And then periodically you can say, fuck it. I'm going to take this set as far as like this set of bicep curls as far as I can. And I'm going to compare that to last week whenever I said I did 100 pounds for 10 reps and that felt like one RIR. This week I took it to failure and I got 15 reps. Well, clearly last week wasn't one RIR. So mm -hmm. let's bridge this divide. How do I start thinking differently about my perception of what my reps and reserve is versus what it actually is? And that's where you start to change that, that thinking pattern. You start to come to the realization, oh shit, I actually don't train that hard. I can't train a lot harder. <laughs> And then whenever people realize that they can train a lot harder, then their RPE shifts upward, right? Because they realize that what used to be their 10 RPE is actually more like a seven RPE. Yep. And that's a switch that everybody starts to get to and needs to get to, to be able to take it to that next level and become an advanced athlete. But that's really hard. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of attention to detail. And it's not something that people who just go into the gym and fuck around and think that they're just going to pull some workout out of their ass every time they walk into the gym, that you're not going to get there, right? You're, you have right. to follow structure. You have to pay attention. You have to be intelligent about what you're doing in the gym to ever be able to get to the point of what I would call advanced. No matter how muscular or strong you are, advanced isn't about those types of things, those measures. It's about how fucking proficient you are in the gym. It's about how well you can execute movements. It's about how well you could execute movements while taking them to failure. Right. But to do that, you have to know what failure feels like, right? And it's really hard to know what failure feels like if you're just bullshitting all the time and telling yourself that you're training hard. So 
I, I think that one big aspect of what we do is trying to allow people to overcome their own like internal biases of how hard they think that they train. Mm -hmm. It it's not easy to do that because then you basically have to take a step back and admit like, holy shit, the last three years I've been training like a gigantic little pussy. Yeah. And obviously men, that's challenging. But for women, it's even more challenging because then that means that they have to do less volume. Like that is, that's the bridge that we always have to cross at a certain point with our, our female athletes is you are doing so much volume that it is physically impossible for you to be training as hard as you are telling me that you're training. Yeah. So let's start learning how to train hard and let's pull the volume down so that you can get out of two sets what used to take you five sets. How hard do you think you would have to train to create that same efficiency there? Rep for rep, set for set. And that's a hard thing for most people to wrap their minds around because they're like, that's impossible. And for you or I, or for a lot of people that have been doing this for a long time, you're like, oh, fuck no. Yeah, I, no. I, I can take one set of leg press to the point where that would be like two sessions worth of lower body for a lot of people, yep. right? But that is a learning curve. It does take time. It's not something you can just throw at people and expect them to understand what that is. So using tools is an important way to get there, but also ordering that the use of those tools in a way that builds on top of itself to get to the point of being able to take a set of leg press to absolute failure to the point where you're getting the most stimulus out of it. That's a, that's a long journey. And People have to be open-minded to get to that point. They have to understand what these things are for, too. Yeah. I mean, you hit on one like big point. I know we've talked about it before on uh, the last podcast that we covered failure on whenever ago. But like obviously, the tool we use as a coach to bypass people who are not training hard, people who just yeah, they, just show up, right? And for me, um, I've, I've continued to evolve this um, into what I think, especially for novices um, or just like beginners and even early intermediates works really well, which is I won't progress people from two working sets until we get to a point to where I can see in the, the videos they're sending that they're pushing, you know, to the one or two RIR or to the eight, nine RPE that I have been going to. Um, and it's frustrating for some people, but the way I look at it and I, I pitch it and it's, it's worked well for most is think about it this way. And cause I remember, I remember being in college running our spring tests and our spring test was always it was 10 40s you ran your first 40 and it was timed and each 40 in between was timed the 10th 40 could not be any slower than a second than the first one but of course everyone's like well fuck, i'll just dog the first one which if you dog the first one you had to rerun it um but knowing you had 10 was fucking miserable so of course you found opportunities to coast you you didn't take each of those to your maximal effort which would have probably given you better results if you had um, definitely on the test, you would have scored better, but you knew you had another one. So even mentally, it was just hard to say, go all out, dive for the fucking finish line, like gasping for air, heart going to explode. But if you don't have that next 40 to run, if you don't have that next set, if you're not already looking down the pipe at four more movements, you know, at three sets of movement, four sets of movement, it's a little easier to tell yourself, you know what? It's just two sets. It's just, it's just two sets. Push it, right? Push it to failure, push it to one RIR. And then I surprised you with, Surprise, more volume. Let's, let's, let's add a set this week, right? Now, using the same, bringing that same intensity we brought last week. And 
it's mitigated the like human sandbagging that is subject like it's just always subconsciously there like you're going to do it whether you want to or not like you're going to hold back because you know you have to show up later on but or remove the later on from your perspective then it's easier to show up as hard as you can right now and so um it's like you said that framework being able to build that as early as possible and show people like hey like dude you are strong i have a client that i'm working with for a year and each time you know she's one of our baseline clients so i don't explicitly go in and like break down her actual like loads I want her to use. It's more of like a, Hey, like let's, let's guide you through this. But every time at the beginning of the block, she just tells herself short and I'm like, Hey, like you gotta push it, push it, push it, push it. And if she's listening, she knows I'm talking to her. <clears throat> and now we're, we're, and now we're moving one tens, right? Moving one tens for RDLs, for reps. And, and I'm like, Hey, I never want to see you do working sets with 60 unless you're doing sets of 20. Like you, now you understand what I've been trying to show you. And it's cool. It sucks that we didn't get here sooner, but we're here now. Now let's use it, right? Let's use this framework we've built to continue to, you know, expand and get a lot better. So like you said, just being able to build that framework and shift that mindset is hard, but it takes time and it takes deliberate effort and reflection on what's happening and then deliberate, deliberate planning on what's coming next based on what you've seen, what the data has shown you. Yeah. And like, I like that you use the, the analogy to the sprints. Because I think that that's really important, right? So, like, if you're thinking in terms of volume, the natural corollary is intensity. Like those, they're they're inversely related, and a lot of people think that volume and intensity can scale with one another, and that's not how things work. If someone told you to run a forty for for the combine, that's a very different mindset than you need to run repeats of forties for the next twenty minutes, right? That's a very, very, very different mindset. So with that, like you said, there, whether you want to or not, there is always going to be this like internal sandbagging that goes on because your body knows that you have a lot more coming. If you have one set or if you have two sets or if you only have one bout that you need to do, you can go all out. You can unleash everything you have because you you know that that's this is all that's needed, right? Like this is the only opportunity I get to make this count. So I'm going to make it fucking count. But at a certain point of increasing volume, the intensity starts to drop off quickly because you just can't maintain it over time like that. And that is really important for not only coaches to understand, but also athletes to understand. Because if they're doing, let's say four sets of leg presses, which is totally fine, right? Like volume needs to be tailored with intensity and you shouldn't always be going to failure. So there are times when it's going to be more beneficial to leave some reps in the tank, keep that RIR a little bit higher to get more volume in, right? Because these things need to be balanced very closely. Right. So if you're a client and you're looking at your training and you see four sets of leg press, maybe don't take that first set as far as you fucking can, right? Even if it doesn't have an RPE or, or RIR associated with it, just know you have more efforts that you need to to take into the next set. There's no point in trying to completely empty your load on the first one. Like that, that it doesn't make any sense. So whenever we're trying to to program, whenever we're putting stuff together for clients, whenever we're trying to explain what the fuck it is that we mean with all of this, there's 
always this careful fine tuning going on in the background, even in our brains, as we're trying to do this stuff, where there's a balancing act, there is volume on one hand, there's intensity on the other. The idea is that intensity is regulated and controlled so well that we can play with the volume to manipulate how many effective reps are going to get, how far we can utilize that intensity, right? But if intensity is completely fucking out of whack, it doesn't matter how many sets you're doing because it's not going to have the effect that you think it's going to have. Right. So just kind of going back to the RPE versus RIR stuff and how they map and how they correlate, you know, we actually, before we got on this, we were talking about like, maybe we want to talk about like what failure is, like the benefits of failure. That's a whole separate topic. So we don't even get it, need to get into that. But um, with R RPE, I think that it is good at an advanced level to be able to auto-regulate a lot of stuff. That is super challenging though. And not a lot of people are going to be able to actually approach training with auto-regulation in mind because the assumption there is that you know your body so well that you can titrate up or down according to how you're feeling in that moment to your subjective level of effort. Most people will always have to go off of RIR because they'll never be that in tune with their body. So the next place to get is you attach an RIR to everything that you do. You just depend that on the end. If I'm doing three sets of eight to 12, I should also know how close to failure those sets need to be. If I'm doing three sets, it would tell me that I probably shouldn't immediately take every set to failure because there is going to be a trade-off associated with that, especially if it's a movement like leg press or deadlifts or squats or something like that. If it's curls, maybe you can get away with it. But either way, whenever you append that RIR on top of whatever prescription rep scheme that you're doing, all of a sudden you have another variable, but that variable is super powerful because that allows you to control everything else that you're doing. Because if you don't know how hard you're supposed to be training, nothing else matters. None of it matters. So that is how we really try to build progressions in is we start off saying, hey, you need to know how hard you're training from the get-go. You need to know what your body's telling you. You need, to, you need to know the feedback that you're getting. And then after that, it's, okay, cool. Now we need to be able to say, this is my 15 rep max. That means I can get 15 reps if I take this to failure. This is telling me I need to take this to two reps in reserve. That means I should be able to get 13 reps on set one. And it's really that easy. It's literally that easy if you're approaching it from that that way of mind, that way of thinking. Um, but again, you know, this is more of like a high level intermediate or even advanced way of, of programming. And to get to the point where you're able to use RPE, but even RIR effectively in your training, you have to be really diligent about how you approach these things. It can't be like super gung ho. Um, you have to be able to sit down, balance volume intensity, make sure that you're on structure, make sure that you're taking notes being detailed in your biofeedback. And then from that point, you can start to really think about, okay, well, how do I build these structures into my trading? How do I append RIR on top of what I'm already doing? How do I start counting these things? Do I need to record my sets? How do I map what I perceive to be my effort on top of what objectively is my effort after recording these sets and looking at it and being honest with myself. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that goes into training. And I think that if you were looking at it from the outside and you're saying, oh, well, like you just train hard and you, you go to failure all the time, like it, it should be easy to make progress. 
in a perfect world, yeah. But I think that it's really obvious whenever you start working with real life humans that people just are challenging. And most people have no clue what their bodies are doing at any given time. And the closer that you can get people to being in tune with their bodies, the better progress that they're going to make long term. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's one of the big pieces that you kind of like brought in there was failure. Um, and that's all this has been talking about, right? And understanding how close you are to failure and how hard you're working. And none of it matters, right? Three by 10, three by 15, whatever. None of that matters if it's like, oh, 10 RIR. It's like, you can warm up at home and do some sit-ups and push-ups too, you know, like yeah. you, you want to be able to frame the shit that you're doing so that way you can actually progress and get better. Your body can adapt. Um, and, you know, all that being said, it's, we won't talk about it right now, but like you said, failure is a really, really important piece. And when someone says, well, I just train a failure all the time. And it's like, well, already that sounds stupid. Cause one, if you did, like you probably wouldn't be as gung ho about it because it would be a pretty miserable life. Um, just to say, and you probably wouldn't see the, effects, the long-term effects that you wanted to see. So chances are there's some auto-regulation going on, even if it's subconscious, but cool. Um, on, on that note as well, like for the listeners, some take home, because we'll probably bring this back at some point, types of failure are really important too. That's something people don't even talk about, right? So are you talking about fucking ligament splitting, can barely move the, the, the fucking load anymore, like legs shaking failure? Are you talking about, I can't adhere to the tempo technical failure? You know, like, what are we actually like talking about in that realm? And that's really, really important when trying to frame it because technical failure looks a lot different than absolute failure. I mean, when you're you literally are falling over, um, they're going to provide different stimulus. They're definitely going to tax your nervous system a lot differently. And so being able to frame failure as a whole, whether it is the proximity to such or what type of failure you're trying to approach is very, very important. And without it, you know, you might as well just go do jazzercise or some shit. Yeah, no. And I'm just going to build off of that really quickly because I do think that it is really important that we define the different types of failure, right? And, you know, maybe this is a little bit too late in the conversation, but uh, I'm just going to read off of the the article that, that I have. So basically, uh, I break it down into three different types of failures. The first is technical failure. The second is concentric. And then the third is eccentric, right? So technical failure is going to be the first that anybody hits whenever you're performing a set. Uh, it's when form breaks down. So whenever your form starts breaking down to the extent that your safety or the intent become compromised, that is technical failure. Even if you're able to get another rep, if your form is compromised, your technique is gone. That's a failure point. That's the first failure point, right? Then we have concentric failure. Um, that's the point whenever the target muscles can no longer shorten against the external load, right? So if you're performing leg extensions, that's the point where you can no longer fully extend your knees against that load. There's no real technical failure in leg extensions, right? Like there's not a lot on, there's only one plane. And then after that is eccentric failure, right? So whereas concentric failure is the inability to, or for the, for the muscle fibers to shorten, uh, eccentric failure is the inability to resist the lengthening under load. Um, so that is where pretty much nobody should be going or taking any set. If you're going to the point of eccentric failure, you're probably going to make yourself ill, right? And there are very few instances where I would recommend going to 
eccentric failure. So it's not even something that I really like, you know, think about too often or need to explain too frequently. But it is important to understand that there are differences in failure points between technical, concentric, and then eccentric. And each one of those comes at further and further and further points within a set because your structures, your muscles are capable of producing different forces under different, different circumstances. Um, but whenever we're starting to, re to relate RPE and RIR, my mind, RPE is more closely related to something like eccentric failure, right? Because if you get to the point of eccentric failure, yeah. that would be a 10 RPE. Mm -hmm. RIR is technical failure in my mind. Once your technique breaks down, that's zero reps in reserve. So even that creates a distinction between the ways that we measure failure, because you have to understand what type of failure that you're even measuring. Right. But if you've experienced eccentric failure before, all of a sudden that becomes your new 10 RPE. So these are just additional layers that we're like adding on to make the conversation a little bit more complex. But I, I don't think that it is, um, I don't think that it's an unnecessary talking point because we're, we're creating more distinction between the ideas of RPE and RIR. And again, showing that you can't just refer to one as the other. You can't haphazardly use RPE in place of RIR or vice versa whenever you're talking to a specific population or demographic of athletes. If you are talking to a lay person, you're saying RPE, RIR, that's fine, right? Like, you know that like a high RPE and a low RIR kind of just mean about the same thing. It's hard, right? It's hard. But if you're trying to be very, very, very specific in the ways that you're explaining things as it relates to different types of failure for an advanced athlete, you have to be fucking explicit in the way that you're describing and the tools that you're yeah. using to try to describe that. No, 100%. I mean, like you said, it adds some complexity to it, but I think it's important for people just at the high level to understand that there are different types of failure and what those failure I guess what each of those failures look like. Um, but no, I mean, I think that we did a really good job of surmising that. I think we're at about 40-ish minutes. So, I mean, that's that's not a half bad spot to to stop and say we did a good job. Um, for, for me, I, you know, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but like, I'm just like, hey, like we are advocates of failure. I know before we've talked about just, hey, like people out here saying they go to failure every single day. They're just fucking idiots. And it's like, well, they're idiots because they don't go to failure every day. But that, that, that's it's just a, a lie. But understanding failure and going to failure and at times exceeding failure is really important for one, the framework, two, obviously there's the stimulus and things to be gained in those areas. Obviously something to be approached with caution for a myriad of reasons. Uh, but for me, like I always tell my clients, like, dude, the idea is that yes, we will get to a point to where the goal is we will fail and then we'll come back and we'll fail again, but better. And that does lend itself to the idea like this framework is ever expanding. It's ever growing. Um, and I wanted to just bring this up today because I wanted to eliminate the idea that like, I keep seeing people talk about, again, harmonizing RPE and RIR and using them interchangeably when it's just not the case. While they can be very closely correlated, they are not measuring the same thing. And that is a really, really important piece. I'll just add one more thing and kind of piggyback off of what you were starting to say. And then you, you drifted, um, essentially we are advocates of strategic failure. The reason why it might sound like we are against failure is because the people that are proponents of it are not very contextual in the way that they promote 
failure. Right. And what we're doing whenever we are creating these cases against failure training, or we're talking about why failure is not the best way to train all the time, we are trying to add context to that idea. We're saying, hey, failure is a tool. Again, these are all tools. They're all ways that you can approach training, but like any tool, it has its drawbacks. It has its specific use cases and failure, failure does that, but it also has instances and circumstances where it's not the tool for the job. Right. And that's mostly what we're trying to convey here. We're trying to say, okay, cool. Failure is a way that you can train. It is, it is another variable, right? But it is not almighty. It's not, it's not the deity of training. It's not something that we should all worship. We should say, this is contextually something that is a landmark for us, right? It, it provides an anchor point that our training should sometimes pivot around, whether we want to go beyond, say, intensity techniques, whether we want to stay short with, you know, three RIR and build some volume. But again, there's context to everything that we're putting forth. And anybody who has been around us for long enough, who has been a client of ours, who has dove really deep into the ideas of exercise science and kinesiology, um, they know that training is a very, very, very complex thing. It's extremely layered and complex. And the idea of you know, exercise and rep schemes and sets and rest periods, that's not even scratching the surface of how deep this stuff goes. Even failure is super surface level, right? But whenever you start working with higher level athletes, you have to be able to expand your thinking beyond just take every set to failure because that's not always the right way to approach the problem. And that's mostly what we're trying to convey here. I like having failure be that goal at certain points, but a lot of times as well, I don't want failure to actually be the goal because the broader goal of the session of the program of the macro cycle is lending itself towards that set being sub max for whatever. And again, it's important to contextualize all these things. And that's probably going to be the, the lamest thing that we always tend to default to is just context, 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 but just broadly saying, take every set to failure. It completely ignores context. And that's the problem that I tend to have with people that are blind proponents of failure. And we can yeah. all. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in on yet another installment of the P2 podcast with myself and Bryce talking some failure and some uh, misconceptions, misnomers, miswhatevers, just some stupid shit. Uh, but if you enjoyed this, please like, comment, share, um, drop us questions, you know, prompts for future installments, and we will definitely not look at them, but we will uh, definitely enjoy the activity. Thank you again from wherever you're tuning in. We appreciate you and we'll see you next time.